Better. Good morning. Oh, that's better. Like I said, at least you're awake at the beginning, right? Um, all right, so we're going to continue on in our sermon series this uh, summer called The Idol Factory. We're in part eight of The Idol Factory, so if you have your Bibles, now would be a great time to get them out. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, we do have a few Bibles in front of you, um, and uh, so you can have access there. If you don't have access to either of those, most of the text should be on the screen. If you are using our Pew Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. Uh, and even if you're not, we're still going to be in Luke chapter 14. So turn with me to Luke chapter 14 in our Pew Bible. It's page 848. 848. As we continue on in our sermon series, The Idol Factory, Part 8. And uh, as you can tell, hopefully behind me, uh, you can see that we have been producing several idols in the past uh, weeks. Uh, we've talked about the idol of work last Sunday, the idol of children, the idol of pleasure and acceptance. And uh, this week, the Idol Factory has produced for us a box entitled The Idol of Family. So that's where we are going to be this morning. Uh, just by way of heads up, I want to let you know that this morning's uh, sermon is going to be a little bit different. Um, hopefully you got uh, the email, the weekly email that we sent out this week. If not, um, and you would like to be on our email list, uh, there should be a sign-up sheet in at the Welcome Center. Uh, but if you read this week, this is Text Message Sunday. So show me, did you bring your phones? Did you bring your phones? Okay, I hope you brought your phones. If not, pull it out, turn them on, uh, and uh, we are going to be getting some feedback here in a few minutes. Uh, if you didn't, no worries. Uh, here in a few minutes, we're going to pass out sheets of paper, and uh, so all you really need is a pen or pencil, and you can give your feedback that way, and the guys will collect it. So just as a heads up, we're going to do our sermon in two parts this morning. Uh, part one, I've entitled uh, The Idol of Family Examined. Uh, the Idol of Family Examined, and we're going to take a look at what Jesus has to say about the idol of family out of Luke chapter 14. Uh, part two after our feedback time will be called the idol of family exposed. The idol of family exposed and we hope to expose um, some of the character traits of the idol of family. What does it look like for us to engage in idol worship namely with our families and so that's where we're going to be going this morning. So let's do this. I'm going I'm to pray for us one more time and uh, we'll dig into God's word. Father thanks for a good morning. Uh, thank you for a good worship uh, and I pray that the worship would not just be good because it was it sounded good or we were engaged emotionally, but I pray that it would have been well-pleasing to you, that we would have been worshipers, worshipers who worship you in spirit and in truth, uh, that as we saw and heard the words that are true and according to your word, that then our hearts and our affections and our emotions would have been stirred up within us and that it would have expressed itself in pleasing worship uh, to you in song. Father, we ask that you would be among us. Spirit, please come. Open our hearts, open our minds, help us not to be uh, deaf of hearing, help us not to be blind of seeing. Uh, we want to, to be changed by your word, through your spirit, and, and by the very words of Jesus Christ this morning. And so Jesus, be among us, and uh, help us, we pray in your name. Amen. I want to begin this morning with a movie clip, uh, and, and the movie is, is called About a Boy. Have any of you ever heard or seen the movie About a Boy? It's not, it, thank one person, that's good. So you'll be familiar with this scene. Perfect. Um, it, it's, it really wasn't a big movie. It, you know, in fact, I'm pretty sure Shelley and I got it on Netflix. Uh, but Hugh Grant is kind of the main character uh, in the story, if you know of Hugh Grant. And I want to give a bit of a background before we play the clip. In the movie about a boy, and, and I did actually like it, by the way, from what I recall. In the movie, Hugh Grant plays a single rich man. He is kind of like an inheritance baby, never worked a day in his life. Uh, silver spoon kind of a guy, uh, extremely uh, self-centered, extremely uh, uh, 
just selfish, if you will, and very much averse to family. He lives for himself and not for anyone else, including a family. And, and the, basic, the basic gist of the movie is that he finds an unlikely relationship. He finds an un- unlikely friendship with a young boy who probably is 10 or 11 or 12, and he, in a sense, kind of... It becomes about a boy, and he grows to find meaning and significance, uh, and open up his open open up his his selfless selfishness, if you will, to this boy. And so that's kind of the basic thrust of the movie. But the scene that we're going to look at this morning, uh, uh, Hugh Grant uh, is questioned by his sister and his uh, I guess his sister's husband, and there he's at his sister's house, and he's you know taking a look at the family and. Uh, his sister basically asks him about his desire for a family, if he ever wants to get married, if he ever wants to have a family, and why not. And so let's, let's take a look at this clip just for a quick moment. Well, this is Imogen. The motor, if you like. I suppose. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Lovely. Yeah, she's, um, delightful, isn't she? Isn't she? Mm. Tell the truth, Chris, I'm being a bit crap with her. You better take her back. Hey. I just think she could have been yours to put your act together. Just think of that, yeah. So, the place is looking, um... Really nice. Barney, 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 Barney. Oops, say hello to Will, Barney. Oh. And here we go, it's the Antichrist. Hello, Barney. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> oh, he's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> you, uh, any desire for a family of your own yet? I'd rather eat one of Barney's dirty nappies. Yeah, really, I'm sort of all right as I am. Oh, please, Will. What's that mean? Oh, please what? what? <laughs> Look at yourself. You're 38, and you've never had a job or a, a relationship that lasted longer than two months. I wouldn't exactly say you were okay. I mean, I, I would say you were a disaster. <laughs> I mean, what, what is the point of your life? Uh, um, well, no, you're probably right. There's probably no point to my life, but um, thank you for bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case you didn't get the British... Oh, yeah, there you go. Just in case you didn't get the British word, he said, I'd rather eat her little nappy, which I'm pretty sure means diaper. So, you know, just translating into American English here. Um, so I want to I kind of mo- move off of this, this clip um, from the perspective of, uh, of, of, uh, of the sister. We're going to be talking about the idol of family this morning. And I think for those of us who are inclined to worship the idol of family, we can very much have the perspective of the, of the sister. We can look at a guy like Hugh Grant, granted self-centered, jobless, all of that stuff, but we can look at him and we can see that he has no family relationships. He's kind of a loner, no marriage, no children. And I think the line at the very end uh, that the wife, that the sister says is right on cue. And he says, really, what is the point of your life? And he's like, yeah, I don't know. Good. Thank you for asking. Thank you for pointing out that I have no point to life. And that's very much what a person who's inclined to worship the idol family would say. They would look at a person without family and they would say, really, what is the point of your life? Because for them, in worshiping the idol of family, family is the point of their life. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, the idol factory part eight, the 
the idol of family. So let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 14 is where we're going to begin. And uh, we're going to take a look at what Jesus has to say about this. Um, So before we do, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 14. I want to do my best just to kind of summarize uh, the context in the book of Luke. Uh, As we'll see in a a bit, uh, we see that Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem and that there are large crowds following him. Uh, We see from the greater context that he has been progressively, steadfastly, with an eye towards Jerusalem and an eye towards suffering on the cross for the sins of humanity, he has been setting his will towards Jerusalem. And the context then is he has a large group of people following him. And he turns then and says some words to this large group of would-be followers that's kind of shocking. I mean, if I were in those people's uh, shoes, just kind of hanging out with Jesus, seeing what's going on on the way to Jerusalem, and he turns and he says these words in Luke chapter 14 to me, I might be inclined to say, I'm going home. <laughs> Thanks, you're pretty cool. Are you out of your mind? I'm going home. These are the kind of words that Jesus utters. And, and basically, the point of this section in verses 25 through 35 is this. Jesus essentially says, count the cost. That's the overarching principle, the overarching point of the section. He says to these people, count the cost of following me. Count the cost of being my disciple. If you want to believe that I'm the Messiah, if you want to believe that I'm the Son of God, if you want to believe that the, that the kingdom of heaven is now and will be to come, if you really want to follow me, then you better count the cost. You better count the cost. And so what we see this morning is that believing in Jesus Christ, I want to be clear on this, believing in Jesus Christ, believing that he is the Son of God, believing that he came to live a perfect life for my imperfect life, believing that he came to die a horrible death on a Roman cross, allowing the the sin of all humanity to be poured out upon him, God's wrath upon him in my place for my sins, believing that he was risen from the dead, conquering sin and Satan and death, believing in that, receiving salvation, receiving eternal life, receiving a new heart, receiving reconciliation with God, and on and on and on. If you want to believe that, that is free. That's absolutely free. That's the gift of grace. We place our faith in what Jesus Christ has done. We don't add anything to it. We can't do anything to earn it. So believing in Jesus for salvation is absolutely free. But what I think Jesus is talking about here is being a follower of him. I think Jesus now is talking about what then it would cost you if and when that happens. And what Jesus says is that is extremely, it can be extremely costly. And so let's read the words here, and uh, then we'll go through and, and kind of pick it apart. So chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish it. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't the first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, 
If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long distance off and will ask for terms of peace. And he brings it home. In the same way, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit nor it is neither it is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. The reading of God's word and the words of Jesus Christ. The thing that strikes me most about Jesus' conversation with these would-be followers, again, it was a large group of people who were heading with him towards Jerusalem, towards the place of suffering, towards the place of humiliation, towards the place of anguish. And I can just see it in Jesus' mind. He's walking along the way and he's contemplating the cost. He's contemplating the cost of paying for the sins of all humanity, of all time. And I imagine in my mind's eye, he's walking along and he's thinking about the cross and he looks behind him to the left and to the right and he sees people who would be followers of him and he says, do they understand what's about to happen? Do they understand that if you become a follower, you might end up on the same road and you might end up on a same cross? As me, And he says these words, and it's, it's astounding to me because he's not trying to sell them something. I mean, this is not like, if you, were, if you were wanting to gather a movement in that day, you probably wouldn't say that. If you had a large group of people and you wanted them to stick with you, you probably wouldn't say, hate your mom, hate your dad, hate your kids, hate your spouse, hate your life, come die with me. That's not really family-friendly. That's not really seeker-sensitive. That's not really something that you would do to draw a crowd, and yet Jesus wants all people who might place their faith in him as the Son of God to know that believing in him is free, but following him might be costly. It, and so he doesn't, he doesn't sell them anything. He's up front with them. It's not like he highlights the benefits of being a follower of, of him, and there are many. Oh, there are innumerable Charms and innumerable benefits of following Jesus Christ. But it's not like he highlights those and says, if you believe in me and follow me and be, and be born again and follow me with your life, these are all of the wonderful things that you might receive. And then kind of in small print, you know what I mean? You get a letter in small print and it's like, here are the things, here are the costs. You know, here are the things that it might cost you. And so I have a letter that I got in the mail just this week. Maybe you got one too. I don't know. It's a Southwest Airlines uh, voucher. And, and at the very front it says, get... 30,000 points. See the details inside. And so, oops, so I opened it up because usually I wouldn't, but I knew that this is where I was going. And so it says, get 30,000 bonus points towards free flights. Now notice how large that is, right? I mean, that's large. It wants, it's highlighting the benefits. But guess what? You open it up, right, and here are all the perks. This is the perks card. Look how nice it is, right? It's colorful. It's big. You can read it. This is the benefits of doing this, right? And then I, and, and then I kept digging, and notice what else was in there. What does that look like? <laughs> That's the cost, right? That is the 14.24% interest rate if you happen to get on this card. It says fees, small print, right? And I'm like, That's that's exactly what Jesus did not do. <laughs> uh, when Shelly and I uh, were trying to plan our trip to Hawaii, what we did is we got something like this in the mail, and we're like, all we have to do is get a, an extra credit card, and they'll give us like 30,000 more miles, which is what we needed to get to Hawaii, and then we had to spend like, I don't know what it was, 50 bucks or something. You have to spend a certain amount. Maybe it was 500. I don't remember. You have to spend a certain amount of money 
to be able to get the points, right? And so Shelly and I were like, we use our credit card on most purchases. We're going to do it. And so we signed up, and we got a third credit card. We have two now. And uh, we earned our points. We put you know, all of our bills for like two or three months on it. Lo and behold, we got our points. And then guess what we did? We cut it up, and we said, thanks, but no thanks. We don't want this credit card anymore. Now there we kind of you know, cheated the system, if you will. But the point that I want to draw out here is that oftentimes this is kind of like popular Christianity. This is what popular Christianity is like. They're like, this is all of the benefits of believing in Jesus. But they don't tell you what Jesus is telling us right now, which is there may be costs involved. And so let's look at some of the costs that Jesus talks about. Let's read through a few of these just a, a few times, uh, starting in verse 25 through 26. I want to just talk briefly about the passage as a whole, and then we'll focus on the idol family. Verse 20, verses 25 through 27. Essentially, Jesus says that you need to count the cost, and what it might involve is a break in relationships in your family life, and it might even cost you your physical life. You might have to die for me. In America, that's so foreign to us. But if you read missionary emails, if you read about what's going on in the world, this is not a foreign concept to believers in Christ. It's a foreign concept mostly to me and to American Christians. But he says there's a cost involved, verses 25 through 27. Then in verses 28 through 32, he uses a couple illustrations, right? He uses the illustration that we can all understand that before you commit to something, there's a cost involved and you need to understand what the cost is. And so he uses a couple illustrations. First of all, he uses an illustration of a tower. And he's like, if you're going to build a tower, you don't just go out and build it and then halfway through run out of money and you're like, oh... I ran out of money. And all your neighbors are like, <laughs> look at that guy. That's useless. And so that's the parable that Jesus tells. He also says, it's kind of like a king. It's, it's like a king who says, I, I don't like that other king and nation. To war! And we go to war and we, and we get on the battle lines. And, and the king then says, general, how many, how many guys do we have? And he's like, 10,000, sire. And, and then the king says, well, how many do they have? 20,000. And he's like, oh, oh. <laughs> We're in trouble. What are we going to do? And the general's like, well, listen, you already hacked him off, so we're going to go to war. No, Jesus says, you count the cost beforehand, and if you, can't, if you can't commit to it, then you better offer terms of peace, right? He uses a couple illustrations to hammer home his point, count the cost. And then, kind of to conclude the section in verses 33 through 35, he has a summary statement. 33, I'll read it, read it again. In the same way, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. So he kind of summarizes this teaching and he says, I am most significant. Nothing is more important than me. And then he uses another illustration, that of salt. Now on that day, a salt they got salt, I think, from the Dead Sea and it was different. It could lose its saltiness. And so it was possible in that day to have salt that wasn't salty. You could have salt that didn't do its job. It was useless. And essentially what Jesus says is he says, listen, I want you to know what the cost might be of being my disciple, of being my follower, of believing in me and then living for me. And if, if there were to be a disciple that didn't count the cost, it would be like unsalty salt. It would be useless. The kind of disciples, the kind of followers that I want are the kind of followers who count the cost and are willing to give it. Salty disciples, if you will. And so, that's what Jesus has to say in verses 25 through 35. I want to hammer home a little bit closer to the heart of the idol of family. Let's read again what Jesus has to say, and we will read verses, verse 26. 
There were large crowds. Jesus said, and notice, this is the first thing that he said to them. He said, if you want to count the cost, this is where it begins. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, uh, if anyone does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And so, again, just put yourself in in his shoes. You're following along, and he's like, "You, you really want to follow me? Hate your mom. And you're like, what? <laughs> hate your wife. What? I thought, hate your kids. What? <laughs> I mean, this has got to be confusing. But this is what Jesus is saying. I think the followers uh, in that day, Jewish followers, would have understand that he was using a Hebrew uh, idiom, if you will. Uh, essentially, in the Old Testament, oftentimes we see this language of love and of hate. And they're put side by side. Uh, for instance, uh, in the Old Testament, we see that God loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. Does that sound familiar, if you know your Bible? It says, love Jacob, but hated Esau. So then the question is, did God really hate Esau? Like, did he have negative feelings towards him as we think of that? Well, no. What he's saying is that, that he loved Jacob more, if you will, that Jacob was the priority in a sense. And so he's using this Hebrew idiom to where hate essentially means to love less. And so what Jesus is saying is, is this. He's saying, verse 25, if anyone comes to me and does not love his father less, love his mother less, love his wife less, love his children, his brothers and sisters less than me, then he's not worthy of me. And this is affirmed in Matthew 10. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 10. We see that Jesus says very similar words, and this affirms what Jesus is saying. Matthew 10, verse 37. I will get there as well. Matthew 10, verse 37. Jesus says this. Anyone, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying to those of us who struggle with the idol of family that I must take priority, that your love for me must be preeminent. Uh, in his blog post, uh, Stephen Um, or Um might be, Stephen Um says this. His blog post is entitled Discipleship in the Idols of Family and Culture. This is what he says, very insightful. Stephen, Stephen Um, let's say. What Jesus is calling us is what Jesus is calling us to is ultimate allegiance. Ultimate allegiance. In other words, our lives should be so submitted to Christ that when we put our allegiance to him side by side with other allegiances, i.e. family, the difference is so great that it could be described in the black and white terminology of love and hate. And so let me be clear. What Jesus is not saying is, love me and hate your wife. He's not saying, love me and hate your kids. What he's saying is, love me more than your wife. Love me more than your kids. Love me more than your parents. And so Jesus here, at the very beginning of this section on the cost of discipleship, talks about one potential hurdle to being a fully functional follower of Jesus. Those are a lot of Fs. I, I just made that up. That's pretty good. I probably stole it from somewhere. But uh, he, just, he says this could be a hurdle. Your family. If, you have, if your ultimate allegiance is to your family, then you can't follow me. 
He says your ultimate loyalty, your ultimate commitment, your ultimate devotion, love, passion must be for me and my kingdom. So before we have some interaction here, um, I want to flesh this out just briefly. Um, as, as we've been doing these, uh, talking about idols in the idol factory, I've, I've tried to give you guys a glimpse into my life and how this is working out in, in my life. Um, this is one, I would say, just like last week, that both myself and Shelly can struggle with. Um, and it kind of really came to a head four years ago when we felt God saying, uh, don't do youth ministry anymore, seek a senior pastor role, and oh, by the way, you're going to go to Illinois, where it's four below. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I was like, but when I first came here, it was freezing. And God's like, you're going. <laughs> it wasn't that way. We, we really wanted to come here. But uh, I'll be honest, I, I really wanted to stay close to home. I mean, I wanted to stay close to my family. And I told Shelly, because she, I think, is, is, is very close to her family, and I said, we're not going to go anywhere unless you're going to be okay with this. We're not going to go anywhere apart from your family unless you sense what I'm sensing, which is God saying, this is what we must do, and I'm going to be sufficient for you. And in fact, she was the first one who was like, this is where we need to be. And so here we are. Um, but it, it's, it's challenging. This is a challenging thing for us. It continues to be. We've been here four years, and it continues to be a challenge for us to not prioritize family when it's a holiday and Shelly and I are, are home and we're cooking dinner by ourselves. And I call my mom and dad. I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, oh, we're in College Station watching a baseball game, an Aggie baseball game. I'm like, okay, dad, bye. <laughs> not really. And I'm like, oh, I really want to watch Aggie baseball games with my dad. Or when Shelly calls her mom, she's like, oh, we're at Shauna's and we're taking the kids out for a swim. I'm like, Okay, I know you're going to be here in a few weeks, but and it's hard for us. We struggle with this, and maybe some of you do too. So this is what I want us to do. Get your phones out. If you have your phones, now is the time. Get them out. Uh, guys, Gary, would you do, so, do, uh, do me a favor? We're going to pass out some sheets of paper. And so if you don't have a phone and you, and you would like to weigh in on this, take a sheet of paper, pull a pen and pe- a pencil out, and I have a question for you. And so here's the question. We're going to get all that stuff ready. Here's the question that I want us to answer. We've looked at the idol of family and we've examined it. And what we've basically seen is that Jesus said, I must be your, your primary relationship. I must be your primary allegiance. And if family, if husband, wife, son, or daughter happens to be in front of me, then that's idolatry. That's what he said. And so here's the question that I, I'm going to give you just maybe five minutes to weigh in on. We'll have some music on in the back, and we'll let you guys text in peace or ride in peace. Um, oh, by the way, if you're texting, my cell phone number is 815-993-4545. 993-4545. Um, so text me or write to me. Here's the question. How does the idol of family manifest itself in our community and in our lives? How might, what, it, what might it look like for the idol of family to manifest itself in our community and in our lives? In other words, what might it look like if family had the, pri- the upper hand, had the primary allegiance? So that's the question. Get to texting, get to writing. We're going to throw some music up, and uh, then I will try my best to read as many of your responses as I can, and then we'll wrap up this morning. Go ahead, guys.
give you a few more seconds to finish up. <laughs> I get to read the text. Go ahead, guys. Keep, keep the music going. I'm going to give him just a quick minute here so I can chuckle at the text I get under, under the guise of music, you know. <laughs> Gary, could you guys start picking up and uh, keep texting, and uh, we'll be done here in a second. We're done, thanks. Okay, we're officially done. If you're still texting, that's fine. Finish it up. Malachi, can I have that? Thank you, sir. All right. So last time, I took uh, the text took priority. So I'm going to start this time with some of the written stuff. So written. Oh, thank you. Even more. Oh, goodness gracious. No, thanks. Appreciate that. Even more. So like last time, we likely won't get to all of these, but we'll see. Number one, <clears throat> Okay, number one, computer. Number two, cell phones. Number three, texting. Number four, gaming. Also, uh, taking your wife on a date and not to church. <laughs> Let's see. School. Sorry, my text is, my phone's going off. <laughs> okay. Okay. You keep going here. I have trouble reading some of these. Everyone together every holiday. Sometimes go to church to make parents, family happy, feel more comfortable, want their acceptance, not Jesus. He may, he, he may want you to go somewhere, but you uh, know nobody, you're feeling comfortable. Yep, absolutely. Choosing other events, uh, choosing other events with family over going to church, spending more time with children, doing something, something things, <laughs> than spending time in, in the word with them. Thanks, guys. It's a good thing I'm not writing these because my handwriting is horrible. I can't even write, read my own sometimes. <laughs> we spend time with family and ignore those who are lonely and in need of friendship. Okay, really good. We would give up the purpose God has called us to in order that we may be close to family, that kids might be in the right school district, that we might, quote, be there to care for elderly parents. Okay. Uh, 
following what a family member wants to do, even if it is against or, or different from scriptural truth. Refusing to discipline or confront your children when they disobey scripture. Okay, he's really good. Let's go to some of our text, text messages here. I've got uh, oh, several. <laughs> okay, scroll, scroll down here and I'll see what you guys have to say about this. Okay, uh, crazy schedules, trying to be it all, not showing my kids that time for Christ comes before them. Uh, sports activities every day of the week, too much busyness. Not a need for people outside of family. Okay. Tend to, quote, hang out or fellowship with family instead of building relationships with non-family members. Really good. Uh, how you spend your time or how you spend your money would indicate that. Uh, when I moved to a particular place, one of the hardest things was being four hours from family, honestly, and feeling disconnected. Okay, that's the real answer. Thanks. Uh, there would be many people who don't have family or close family relationships losing out and experiencing the love of Jesus. Very good. Lack of time for church, others, financial draining, living life through children. Okay, I like how that's put. Living life through children. Many times, so much pride is taken in how well our kids do in sports. We put everything into them and forget that God gave them their talents and also gave us our kids. Okay, really well said. Uh, In my life, personally, I really struggle with loving my mom more than God. We have always been extremely close, and sometimes I confide in her more than I do God. That's a great application. Maybe Maybe by going to birthday parties, barbecues, Sunday movies, or brunches, Inc., Etc. Excuse me, etc. Etc. Instead of church, not giving enough money to church due to family expenses. Um, okay, really good. Depending on family to supply love of Christ. Oh, well said. I like that. Whoever wrote that. Not following the will of God because it will bring difficulty for your family. Not offering your family as a sacrifice. Okay, really good. Um, I think those are just about it. So, excellent, guys. What you didn't know is that you just preached my sermon for me. (laughs) Thanks. Appreciate that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to wrap up uh, with this. Hopefully that has begun uh, to help you to think about what this might look like. If you have a pen and a paper and something to write down, I would like for you to write down these eight questions. These are eight questions that I would call diagnostic questions. They might help us dig a little bit deeper into if we might idolize our family. Um, and you're going to hear a lot of the same things that you just heard. So I'm going to go through these really quickly. They should be on the screen. I can get them to you via email. But number one, would you choose to be, who would you choose to be in a relationship with over Jesus. That is, if you could be in a relationship with anyone in this world, might it be someone over Jesus? Number two, would people call my love for family hate compared to my love for Jesus? That was a hard one for me. Would somebody look at my life and say, you love Jesus so much and so radically that your love for your family pales in comparison? That's a hard one. Number, number three, do I fail to engage my lost friends because I'm always with my family? Uh, this is a hard one for us. It's so easy for me and probably for you just to kind of go through our routines, do what we do, enjoy family time, which is wonderful, and fail to engage with the lost. Number four, am I willing to allow people outside my family to share in my family time? I think that's a really big one, and I, and I just want to thank many of you, many of you who did that for us. So significant that we feel a part of your family, but do you do it for other people other than me? Do I do it for other people other than my family? Moving on. Oh, is that it? Okay, that's fine. Yeah, I can keep reading. Here we go. 
What number am I on? Uh, number five, thanks. Number five. Am I as generous to needs in my church family as I am to needs in my physical family? That's a big one. And so when there's a need in the church, you hear about it, somebody needs this, somebody needs that, somebody needs a babysitter, are you as inclined to provide that need for someone in the church family as you are for someone in your tangible, physical family of birth? Moving on, number seven. Who or what sets your family priorities and schedule? Just begin to think about this. What you do on a daily basis, what drives it? Is there really any... What drives it? Who drives it? Is it really driven by a biblical conviction to be on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the glory of God, or is it something else? Finally, what would be, would you be okay if God asked you to move away from your physical family, as he did us, I believe? Would you be okay? Or would you just be utterly miserable and um, without, without hope? I hope these are helpful questions. I want to close with a quote and then we're going to sing uh, a portion of a song in response. And in closing, I want to ask this. What motivates us as believers to do this? I mean, what really motivates us and empowers us to this kind of radical discipleship, to, to this kind of radical love? Again, as most of the answers to the issues of idolatry in our life, it centers on the gospel. The gospel is the answer to idolatry in many different ways and in many different facets. And the same is true for the idol of family. The answer is in the gospel. And again, Stephen Um is helpful. He says this, This is a remarkable cost for one to pay, is it not? One wonders if anyone could ever pull it off. And maybe you've been feeling that way. I have. What is remarkable about gospel-centered discipleship is the claim that someone did pull it off. Christ. Christ left his Father's side in heaven, renounced all that he had, bore a cross that we deserve, and ultimately gave up his own life for us. In short, this is what I want you to hear, in short, he does not ask us to do anything that he has not already done for us. That not only encourages us, but actually empowers us to respond to his call of costly discipleship. Only this kind of God could be worthy of our ultimate allegiance. And so the gospel motivates and empowers us to this kind of costly discipleship. And Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. I'm going to ask Dan Schumacher, one of our elders, to come pray for us. And uh, we're going to pray, and we're going to sing a portion of your all to us, that Jesus is all to us. And my prayer is that in light of what we have heard, in light of what we've seen from the lips of Jesus, that this would be a kind of a response, that we would declare that Jesus Christ, above family and friends and even our, our very life, that we value you more than anything. Dan, let me give you this mic, and you can pray for us. Heavenly Father, I just uh, thank you for this time of worship together. Lord, as uh, Trey has explained to us in the message today, that uh, you, don't, uh, you don't expect us to hate our family, but Lord, you do expect us to love you more than our family. And let us understand that this is a question of examining our love for you and our devotion for you, and not one of how much we can, uh, we can simply turn away other things. Lord, let us focus on you, that you be the central issue in our life, that we love you, that we follow you, and that we praise you forever, Lord. We just thank you for this day and uh, for all the blessings you give us. Amen.